Lord Jesus, you fed 5,000 with uh, loaves of bread and a few fish, and I pray by your Holy Spirit you will now feed us with what I have prepared. We are a hungry people. Sometimes we don't recognize our need and our hunger for your word, but we are hungry and we need to be fed by you this morning. So we pray that you would do that uh, for your glory, in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Be seated. We're in the final sermon on this um, wonderful chapter in Romans chapter 8. And these are just some beautiful words, some of the most beautiful words I think Paul penned at the end of Romans 8. I hope you've been encouraged and challenged by our sermon series through Romans 8. I know I have as I've studied it. There's just so many rich truths and deep things of God that are disclosed there. And Romans is, is you know, a pinnacle, really, of Paul's theology. And then Romans 8, I think, is a pinnacle of Romans. So there's just a lot there, and you could spend probably a year preaching on, on Romans 8. And some, what did you say? We, um, all right, been there, done that. All right, I didn't know that. Is that right, Father Paul? No. No. <laughs> oh, different, a different place. All right. I think the theme of this, these last uh, verses here is security. I think Paul wants these Roman Christians and us to know that ultimate security is found in God alone, loving God and knowing His love. That's the greatest security. Now, we live in a culture that Longs for security. When we were last week out passing flyers on Saturday, some of us, a handful of us, were in the neighborhood in 100-degree weather passing out flyers um, just for an hour or so. We noticed, we came back and we talked about what we had seen and our interchange with people. It was very positive, but one thing we noticed is there were a lot of ADT signs out in the yard, which is a home security system. So in this culture, in this neighborhood, many people are concerned with security, the security of their property and their possessions. We're concerned about financial security, aren't we? Having enough money in retirement to keep up a standard of living. And there's a lot of people marketing things to us about how to secure your financial future. We're concerned about health security. We're concerned about Ebola and the outbreak and what that might pose to us. So security is something that we long for. And what Paul is teaching here at the end of Romans 8 is that you can be secure And the only real security that lasts is to be secure in the love of God. Secure in the love of God. So I want to talk about that theme as it emerges here in this text. He says in verse 28, this famous verse, we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good. For those who are called according to His purpose. Now, Paul has been, and we talked about this last week, Paul has been talking about suffering. That's the context here. He's been talking about the suffering of creation. The created world suffers. The created world groans, longing for redemption. And then the suffering of our own bodies. Our bodies groan, longing for redemption. We experience suffering in a fallen world. And then he talks about prayer. 
because it's, it's through prayer that we can allow ourselves to kind of groan in the presence of God. And through the Holy Spirit, God is at work interceding in our lives. And it's, it's through prayer that we gain perspective in the midst of our suffering, isn't it? But now he says, after talking about suffering, all things, including the suffering, work together for good for those who love God. He's not saying that all things in the Christian life or that all things are good for the Christian, or in the Christian life, in and of themselves. So my sin, for example, is not a good thing, it's bad. And the sin that's done against me is bad. And the suffering in and of itself is not necessarily good that we go through, or those that we love go through. Not good in and of themselves, but he's saying that God can use those things that are not so good for good. Uh, he can take the various strands of our life, the good and the bad, and he can weave them together according to his purpose. And that's one way to think about what God is doing in our life, is a, is a master weaving, weaver, taking the good and the bad in our life, and he's weaving them together for his purpose. Um, when I was a little boy, my great aunt was one of these people who was very creative, very, um, she was an artist, and she was into crafts, and she had a weaving loom in the basement of, a, of the house. And that was a marvelous sort of mysterious machine for a little boy. It was one of these big wooden looms that she would have to sit there and pump. Have you seen those? And the wheel would go as she pumped, and she would weave together this different material. And sometimes you'd see on the loom a half-finished product, but then you'd come back a month later and you'd see the whole beautiful creation. And, and I think that is an image of what God is, does in our lives as he weaves together the good and the bad, all things working together for good, for his purpose. He has a master plan. It says that we've been called according to his purpose, and then verse 29 tells us what the purpose is. So what is God doing in my life even when I suffer? For those he, whom he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his Son. That's the purpose. In order that he might be the firstborn among many brothers. Jesus Christ is the, the master image, if you will. Jesus Christ is the perfect human. And we, through the work of God in our life, are being conformed, shaped into the image of his Son in order that we might be the firstborn among many believers. We might be part of the family of God and bear resemblance to the Lord Jesus Christ, the very Son of God. So that's what God is doing in our life as He's weaving these things together, the good and the bad. And so there's great security in knowing this. There's great security in believing this, that nothing in my life, if I love God, and if I'm engaging with God in the way that Paul has been talking about in Romans 8, which is, a, is an engagement of prayer, of crying out to God, of knowing God as my Abba Father, if I'm engaged with God like that and I love God like that, God is at work in my life. Nothing really is arbitrary. Nothing is going to be wasted. He is working redemption. And he's working for good. People who don't know God like that, people who don't love God like that, they don't have that kind of security when suffering comes. They don't know what to do with it. But it's a great blessing and a benefit of the Christian life to know that God is always at work.
four are good. That's a definition of love. If you love somebody, you're going to be working for their good. Not just say that you love them, but you're going to be working for their good, and that's what God is doing. I wonder if you can just think back in your own life. Many of you have lived a lot longer than I have. And just think right now about the suffering that you've gone through and what God has taught you in the midst of that suffering. Just allow you a minute to think about that. And how it might have shaped you and matured you as a Christian in a way that nothing else can or has. See, God takes, I think many of you are nodding along, and I've heard the story, so I know many of you know that. God is at work even in the midst of suffering. Now, sometimes we, it may take till eternity till we figure out what in the world God was doing. But on the other side of eternity, we'll see that he was at work for good. There's great security in knowing that. How about this next security? God's love secures my salvation. Let's read there in the next verses. Verse 30, And those whom he predestined, now we're going to get into some weighty theological words here. Some fun words. Those whom he predestined, he also called. And those he called, those whom he called, he also justified. And those whom he justified, he also glorified. God is at work in securing our salvation. And these weighty words that kind of stir up controversy, I think when I said predestination last service, somebody audibly gasped. <laughs> <gasps> We're going to talk about predestination. But all these words, I think that the main thrust is this, that God is securing our salvation. From first to last, our salvation is from God, and because it's from God, and no power is greater than God, our salvation is safe. That's, that's the point that Paul is, is making here. So you can just unpack some of these terms. Predestination means that from eternity... God has known me and set his love on me, upon me, and he desires and is working for my salvation. Listen to what Paul says in Ephesians uh, chapter 1, verses 4 and 5. God chose us in him before the foundation of the world. Now that's an incredible thought. Before the foundation of the world, before the universe was spoken into existence, God chose us in Christ. Why? So we should be holy and blameless before him in love. He predestined us. God chooses us not because we're better than others, smarter than others, more moral than others, but because of His sheer love. And then He calls. Those He predestined, He also called. Predestination takes place in eternity past. Calling takes place in the present. As God breaks into our life in the present, as we hear the message of Jesus Christ, as we hear the gospel being proclaimed, something grips our heart and God calls to us through the work of the Holy Spirit. And we know that this is for us. The salvation that he offers is something that I need. Those he called, he, he justifies. This is a great chain here, a great chain of salvation. And we've talked extensively in this sermon series, on what justification means. It means that God the judge looks at me and he declares me to be right, to be righteous, to be not guilty, even though I am guilty. Why? Because Jesus Christ took my guilt upon himself at the cross. We've talked about that extensively. Justification and then glorification, that's the final stage of salvation. 
Uh, glorification means that we are going to receive a glorified body. The body groans now, but will be glorified then. Glorification means that when we are in heaven, we will be free from the pool and the stain of sin and selfishness. We'll live a life in the presence of God's glory. That's glorification. And I want you to notice how Paul puts it here to emphasize this point of the security of our salvation. It's all in the past tense, isn't it? Predestined, called, justified, and whom he justified, he also glorified. Now, he's writing to people, Roman Christians, who've not been glorified. They're still alive. But he's saying, because God has worked salvation in your life, it's a done deal. It's as good as done. God is going to see your salvation through. He who began a good work in you will be faithful to complete it, Philippians 1.6. So these truths really are meant to give assurance to the Christian. And remember what we talked about when we started this series. We came out of Romans 7 where the Christian is struggling with guilt and shame and condemnation. And so these kind of truths, these deep theological truths, the heart of them, we ra it raises questions about our free will and how that works with sovereignty and predestination and all that. We can talk about that. Maybe some Friday night we'll come over to our house, my house and we'll have a pizza night and we'll talk about predestination and sovereignty and we'll try to figure out what theologians have been trying to figure out for 2,000 years. It's complex, I understand. But the point that Paul is making here is for the Christian who's struggling with assurance. Who says, you know what? I'm not living the Christian life like I know I should be. I don't pray like I should. I don't read my Bible. I'm reluctant to witness. I still struggle with sin. The same old sins still pull at me. Doubt still creeps into my life. Am I even a child of God? Does he even really love me? And Paul is saying, you know what? If God has justified you, he's going to glorify you. He's called you to himself. And he's proved his love for you in this, that he didn't spare his own son. He goes on and talks about that in the next he who did not spare his own son, how much more will he give up all things for you to make sure that your salvation is secure and that your eternity is in heaven? So this is a, this is a remarkable passage meant to, not to get us into arguments, but to bring us to assurance. God loves me. God has known me before eternity. And, um, and he's working for my salvation. Blessed be his name. He is even interceding for us, Paul says. Jesus is still at work. And then finally, there's this, this last great truth. Beautiful section of Scripture here. Nothing um, can separate me from the love of God in Christ Jesus. So the very, the very love that saves me secures me, and nothing can pry me from the love of God, from His hands. Nothing can separate me from that love. Uh, he says in verse 35, Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or sword or danger or sword? As it is written, for uh, your sake we are being killed all the day long. We are regarded as sheep to be slaughtered. Quoting from Psalm, I think, 44. And Paul experienced some of this, this type of persecution in his life. You can read about it, of course, the tribulation and the persecution that he went through. And there are many Christians today, let's think about that today and pray for them who are going per through persecution, facing the sword because of their faith in Jesus Christ. 
in Iraq and places like that. It's heating up. But Paul is saying to those who are suffering persecution or have gone through it or will go through it, nothing can take us away from the love of God in Christ Jesus. There is ultimate security in his love. I'm sure that neither death nor life nor angels nor rulers nor things present nor things to come nor powers. He's talking about spiritual powers, spiritual powers that were projected on the stars and heavenly bodies in the first century, people thought that the stars were spiritual powers and that, that the stars directed their fate and controlled their fate. This was big in the first century Greco-Roman world. And Paul's saying there's no spiritual power greater than the power of God. Nothing's going to separate you from his love. Neither height nor death nor anything else in all creation. I'm going to cover all my bases here, Paul says, will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus, what a blessing, what a promise that this is how strong God's love is for us. Even in the face of death, which is a great enemy, which Paul has talked about, even in the face of death. I read an article, close with this, share this with you. I'm not big on afterlife near-death experiences. I wouldn't uh, recommend getting your theology about the afterlife from near-death experiences. Nor would I read them to give you assurance that there is an afterlife, necessarily. Okay? Because uh, some of them conflict and they don't all line up with Scripture. So we get our assurance of heaven from the Scriptures. But I did read an account of a Christian who went through what he called a near-life experience. And he didn't try to describe what happened because he said, it's, I, can't, I can't describe it and it would, it would cheapen it. But he was a missionary in Wales, and he went into a routine surgery, nasal cavity surgery, and he died. He was clinically dead for 20 minutes on the surgical table. He had a, a reaction to the anesthesia, and he went into cardiac arrest. And when he woke up, the first words that he said was, I have just seen the king of glory. And he was a nurse. He had a medical background, so he was talking to the nurse about this. But he talks about in this article what those 20 minutes meant for his life now. How it has affected his life. And he said, I have a deeper understanding of worship. I can relate to the passages in the book of Revelation which talk about the, the majesty and the, the glory of heaven and the worship of God. He says, I, now when I read those passages, I get it. He said, I have a deeper sensitivity to the presence of the Lord in spiritual things. When I read the scriptures, sometimes I find myself, he said, weeping because uh, I'm more sensitive to spiritual reality. He said, I have a bulletproof vest when it comes to condemnation. There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. And then he said, he talked about the brokenness of his own life, the suffering he went through. And he said, in those 20 minutes, my brokenness was healed and there was a supernatural work that God did in my heart that changed me forever. And here's the litmus test about spiritual experience. He said, even my wife noticed the difference. <laughs> so, I mean, we can talk about spiritual experience, but if it doesn't change our relationships, he said, even my wife, I was a changed man for 20 minutes in the presence of God. Death can't separate us from the love of God. In fact, death is an entry into a fuller realization of what we've just tasted here 
And he got a glimpse of that. Let me ask you, friend, are you living in the security of the love of God and Jesus Christ in your life? To know that God is at work in my life, even in the difficult times, he's working for my good. To believe that my salvation is secure because he's set his love on me from all eternity. To know that nothing can separate me from his love. This is a security that the world cannot give, no matter how much you pay for it. The world can't give it, and it's ours in Jesus Christ. Amen. Let's pray. Let's pray. We thank you, Lord God, for this security that we have in you, for this assurance. And help us to live trusting in your love that is um, unbreakable. Help us to respond appropriately. Maybe some of us are facing difficult times. Help us to respond and trust that you're at work for our good. Help us to pray about that. Give us discernment. Help us who might be struggling with guilt and condemnation to find our assurance in Christ. Help us who fear, Lord, other powers, spiritual powers or or mortality, God, to put our trust in your love. We thank you for these truths. We give you praise in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's stand together and recite the words of our faith.